church, let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 8. And I want you this morning, um, as we saw in our Lottie Moon Christmas video, our Lottie Moon Christmas offering every year is one of the greatest gifts that we can give. Because it goes to support missionaries all around the world. In fact, there is in the pew there in front of you, there should be an envelope that looks just like this. These are our Lottie Moon Christmas envelopes. Next Sunday, our missionaries, our mission partners from East Asia, the couple that we have partnered with in our uh, unreached people group are going to be with us. And they're going to be sharing at both of our campuses that morning. And then they're going to be with us next Sunday evening. Both of our campuses are going to gather together here. We're going to have some very special Christmas music. And that evening, we're going to give our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Charles Gardner, one of our members, has built a beautiful manger that's going to be laid out for us next uh, Sunday. And next Sunday evening, we'll have an opportunity to come together and give our gift uh, to support our missionaries. And then just to give a word of thanks to Jeremy and Trish for serving so faithfully. And so um, you'll also want to pick up uh, before you leave. Make sure that you get a copy of our holiday schedule of all the things that are coming up in the month of December. Let me ask you a question this morning. What makes God smile? You ever stop and think about that? What is it that makes God smile? If you'll look, um, just go over one page from 2 Corinthians 8 and look at 2 Corinthians 9 just for one moment. You will see the Apostle Paul say this at the end verse 7, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see that? For God loves a cheerful giver. God is looking for believers who smile when they give. God is looking for believers that when they give, whether it is their time or their talents or their treasures. God is looking for believers who smile because they know that faithful giving makes God smile. See, true generosity doesn't come from guilt or pressure or manipulation. It comes from joy. It comes from the joy of what Jesus Christ has done in the lives of His people. We have spent the month of November talking about stewardship. Uh, we, uh, the first Sunday, we talked about how we view money and possessions. Uh, the second week, we had a biblical theology of work, how we view what we do, how we earn our money. Last week, in a very basic message, we talked about budgeting and how we manage the life that God has given us by developing a budget and uh, retiring our debt. 
And today, I want us to focus on giving. And the question in giving is really not what we get out of it. If God loves a cheerful giver, then isn't the question what God gets out of it? Our view of heaven and eternity will go a long way toward determining what we do in this life. It will go a long way toward determining how we live. So, I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Because managing the life that God has given us is serious business. And God's will is that we give it serious attention. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let's pray together. Father, today as we conclude this series on stewardship and today as we talking up, talk about giving, I pray, Heavenly Father, that the joy of Jesus Christ, the joy of the resurrected King, so fills our hearts and so fills our lives that we see the offering as a spiritual act of worship, that we see our offering time, the time when we give, as a celebration of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak into our lives this morning, and, uh, Father, that you would make us cheerful, joyful, as we gain a biblical perspective on giving today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, as we look at this text this morning, just a couple of things that I want to share with you. Number one, giving is the ultimate test for every believer. Giving is the ultimate test for every believer. How we handle our money reveals volumes about our priorities. How we handle our money reveals volumes about our loyalties, about our affections. And it's not about the amount of money we have. It's about our being a steward in a wise, spiritually profitable manner. How we give cheerfully for God-honoring purposes. How we spend it reasonably to meet the personal needs that we have. How we invest it strategically in order to meet future needs. When we look at our passage this morning in 2 Corinthians 8, if you think about it in context, right? You think about Peter in Acts standing and preaching the power of the gospel. When the Spirit of God comes and moves upon these early believers, Peter stands and Peter preaches with power and he preaches with authority and 3,000 people are converted. When you go over to chapter 4, another 5,000 people are converted. So here is a church in just a couple of weeks of infancy, and there are thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Many of them had come to Jerusalem for Passover. They heard the gospel. The power of the gospel changed their lives, gripped their hearts, and when they came to personal faith in Jesus Christ, they didn't want to leave. Right For them, there was really no home to go back to. Right If they went back to their villages and to their homes, there's no church there. 
There aren't any Christians there. There aren't any apostles there. But in Jerusalem, there is a joy and an excitement that has caused them to not want to go home. And so they stayed. So as the Jerusalem church grew and grew and grew and grew and grew, you can imagine how the needs of the church arise. Right? People were just staying with anybody that they could find a place to stay. They were all together as believers. The Bible says they had everything in common. So the early church, they were so full of the Spirit of God. And so they just started giving to one another to meet needs. Paul writes to this church at Corinth because needs in Jerusalem have grown on a massive scale. And so Paul writes to encourage them to give of the offering that was being collected for the Christians in Jerusalem. And here's what the text says that Jim read for us this morning. Here's what the text says about the gifts from the churches of Macedonia, which would be the churches around Greece. It tells us that, first of all, their giving was initiated by grace. Look at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that had been given among the churches of Macedonia. Right? Verse 6, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he would complete among you this act of grace. The grace of God had so totally transformed their lives that it turned them into givers. Right? It's not just what noble human beings do. It was the result of the grace of God in their lives. I mean, think about the result of God's grace in your life when you came to faith, right? The Spirit of God took permanent reign on your heart, came to dwell within you. The Word of God began to be planted in your life, and the result was radical life change. Their giving was initiated by grace. Paul also tells us that their giving was joyful. Verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their Means. In other words, difficult times had not affected their giving, right? They gave in great affliction. So their giving was joyful, it was not hindered by poverty. It's a reminder to us, as we said in week one, if we don't give with the little that we have, we're not going to give if we ever have much. So their giving was initiated by grace. Their giving was joyful. Their giving reflected their priorities. Look at verse 5. They first gave themselves to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They first gave of themselves to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So their first act 
was to give themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they gave themselves to the Lord, the text reveals they freely then gave everything they had. They made it all available. Isn't this the supreme act of worship when you give yourselves? They first gave themselves to the Lord. They laid themselves on the altar. And they said, God, I'm giving it all up. All that I am, all that I have, I give to you. This is where worship starts. Because once you give yourself, everything else follows. This is why giving is the ultimate heart test for every believer. Because it's an attitude. It's not just an action. But it's the attitude behind it. Paul is showing us that giving is the ultimate heart test for every believer. You say, well, pastor, how can I measure my own heart? Well, does a message on giving disturb you? Does it bother you? Or do you find yourself saying, man, I wish I could give more? Giving is the ultimate heart test for every believer. Secondly, tithing isn't giving. Tithing is returning. Now, you know what I'm going to say. You know I'm going to tell you that you should give. And I should as your pastor. And you should as a Christ follower. In fact, um, uh, in Matthew chapter 23, when Jesus says... Um, to the religious leaders of his day, you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. The scribes and Pharisees tithed carefully from all of their income and Jesus did not tell them they were taking it too far. He simply told them make sure you pay attention to weightier matters. So we should not dear ones think of our tithing as some heroic thing that we do. We should not think of our giving as some high level commitment that we possess. Jesus is actually showing us here that giving is really, it's just entry-level obedience. It's like I come to personal faith in Jesus Christ, I give Him my heart, and then everything else just follows from there. So what is tithing? It's not giving, it's returning. It is returning to the Lord what He already possesses. It's the first online payment we make. It's 10% of our gross. And it all goes to the cause of Christ. When something 
Something else comes first in our budgets. Do we really want to say to the Lord, I'll fit you in if I can? No, beloved, it is basic obedience. It's, it's simple. So if that's true, then why do only 12% of Christians tithe? If that's true, why do people really give only about 3% of their income? Is it possible that it is because money and possessions can have a hypnotic spell over us? Maybe. Is it possible that we hold on to these things because they make us feel secure? Because they make us feel in control? Because they make us feel important? It is my prayer that we can break free from the illusions of money and possessions as if they make us who we are. Uh, somebody asked me not long ago why I drive a, a 1988 uh, Ford truck. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, dear ones... Is a vehicle, for example, a mode of transportation, or is it a status symbol? I mean, if it gets me from point A to point B, what difference does it make how old it is? By the way, have you heard the sound of that truck? <laughs> it is awesome! That's why I bought it! Listen, I am praying that we can break free from the illusions of money and live in generosity. Tithing should not be law to us. It should be life to us. It should be basic obedience. And it isn't giving. It's returning. Third, this text is teaching us that money is not the answer to our problems God is. Now, how does Paul in this passage of Scripture motivate us to be generous? Right? What method is Paul going to employ in this passage to encourage us to be generous? Is he going to appeal to our emotions? Is he going to fill us with sob stories? Is he going to order us with a group of commands in this passage? Is he going to pervert our thinking so that it's all about giving so that you can get back in return? What does Paul do? How does Paul motivate us to be generous? I'll tell you what he does. He does something very simple. He just shows us Jesus. Look at the text. In verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
was rich in heaven. But he gave it up. The Bible says he came down into our poverty. So that we might become rich with him forever. He lost. So that you and I might gain. Our motivation is Christ. Our motivation is what Jesus Christ has done for us. That while on the throne of glory, he stepped off the throne and he entered into a world broken by sin. Destined for separation. And he came and gave his life so that we might become rich. See, Paul is teaching us this morning a very basic truth. Our generosity flows out of his generosity. Our giving flows out of his giving. How can you know where your heart is? How can I know if I am managing well the life that God has given me? Well, let's just ask ourselves a few questions. I mean, question number one, do I use things and love people or vice versa? Do I use things and love people or do I use people and love things? God's design is that we use things and love people. Do you remember when Jesus was teaching one day and a man interrupted him? And in Luke 12, he interrupted him and he shouted, Teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. Do you remember how Jesus responded to the man's greed? That's what Jesus said. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The church, it's not about things. It's about people. Ron was a 10th grade student at Granger High School in Granger, Indiana. And it was game day. And he was the only sophomore from his high school that was suiting up on the varsity team. So he was so excited. He was so pumped. And he begged his mom, Mom, please come to the game. I'm the only sophomore playing varsity this Friday night. So she came. It was her very first football game. And she was there in attendance. She invited several of her friends to come. When the game was over, Ron came to his mother even before he went to the dressing room to change. And he said, what'd you think of the game, mom? Did you see the 
three touchdown passes our team made? Our tough defense? Did you see the fumble on the kickoff return that we recovered? And she looked at him and she said, Ron, you were magnificent. I mean, you were incredible. You had such presence. And I was so proud of the way you looked. Ron, you pulled your socks up 11 times during the game. And Ron, I know you were perspiring in all those pads and all that gear because you took eight drinks of water during the game. And Ron, I like how you went out of your way to pat number 19, number 5, and number 90 every time they came off the field. Mom, how do you know all of that? How can you say that I was magnificent? I didn't even play in the game. And his mom looked at him and hugged him and said, Ron, I, I really didn't come here to watch the game. I came here to watch you. Isn't it true, beloved, that people count most of all? More important than cars, more important than houses, more important than computers or furniture, more important than all material things are the people that we have an opportunity to impact for eternity. This is what matters. It's not about things. It's about people. Do I use things and love people or vice versa? Here's another question for you to ponder as we wrap up. Do I believe that little things make a big difference? Do I believe that little things make a big difference? In the stewardship of our lives, it is true that little is much if God is in it. That God can take the smallest gift like a widow's mite and multiply it for effectiveness far beyond what we could ever imagine. Beloved, when you joyfully give, God uses every penny to accomplish much. The Apostle Paul is teaching us to enjoy things, but don't cherish them. To share things joyfully, not reluctantly. Paul is teaching us to think of our lives as pilgrims, not as settlers. Church, we are pilgrims. Our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's like the old, the old uh, uh, song, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Do you know what one of the most sobering questions that Jesus ever asked? Mark 8, verse 36. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? 
The world is full of people who have amassed much. But if they have not laid up treasure in heaven, how tragic that that would be. Beloved, let's make sure that we are so thankful to God for the things that He gives us. And then with great joy, we get to share in the ministry of the gospel here in Jacksonville, in the state of Alabama, across our great nation, and all around the world. We get to share in the beauty of the gospel with every penny, every dollar, every gift is an opportunity for us to remember how great it is to live forever in a kingdom where the king has given us his very